Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, I used to dread long weekends because normally, you know, attendance goes down. But now I've actually learned I love long weekends because the people that show up at church really want to be in church. And when God's people really show up with, with, with a uh, level of anticipation, God usually shows up and does incredible things. So I'm excited for the Go Camp kids. They are having an amazing time. Excited for the Ecclesia retreat that's going on right now. And, uh, and I'm excited that you're here today. So if you've got a Bible or an app, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. We're going to walk through 14 verses of Scripture today. And I'd encourage you to grab that or you can look at it in your outline. It'll also be on the screens. So I have a personal space bubble of about 18 inches. If you get inside of my bubble, you're too close and you need to back away. That's just how it works. Basically, my rule is this. If I can smell you and you can smell me, we're too close to each other. And we need to give ourselves just a little bit of distance. I have a family bubble. It was the fish four. Now it's become the fish six because both of my kids are getting married. And the bottom line is you don't get to be inside of that little bubble unless you share my last name which I have no idea why you'd want to, because it is a weird last name, or unless you marry in. Now, we could negotiate adoption at some point, but we could talk about that at a different point. That's my family bubble. I've got a spiritual family bubble that meets at 4173 Guide Meridian. It also meets in over, in hundreds of living rooms across, especially starting last week. Over 450 of you crossed the line and stepped into a small group community just over the last couple of weeks. That is the largest small group response we've ever had in Christ the King's history. And I think we should thank God for all the work that he did in that. I think it's great. My spiritual family bubble, I'd love to see all 212,000 people that live in Whatcom County find their way into that bubble because I actually think it's a good place to be. I also have a personal bubble. It includes my car, my house, my office, and my favorite coffee shop. I tend to live inside of that little orbit. And the reason that it's there is because I like it. I like my bubble organized. I like it quiet. I like it uncluttered. I like it when it runs smoothly. And when it runs smoothly, it makes me very, very happy and very, very content. That's how I like the bubble that is my life. Neat, tidy, and predictable. Here's what I don't like. I don't like when Jesus messes with it. I don't like when he gets inside there and invades my personal family and weekday bubble and stirs up my heart to a point where I feel compelled to leave my comfort zone. I don't like it when my normal and predictable becomes abnormal and unpredictable. I like the little bubble that is my life. And it bothers me when God says, Grant, I actually need you to step outside of that. You don't get to just live normal and predictable. Because when God does that in the little bubble of my heart, I begin to think bad things. Like, who are you to tell me to step out of my bubble? Why are you asking me to step outside of my comfort zone? Why does Jesus always seem to have this way about him of getting up in my business, my life, and my routine? Why can't he just let it be alone? Why is he seemingly obsessed with this question? Grant, is your world too small? Is my world too small? Is your world too small? Does your world begin and end with you? Do you fit into God's scheme of life or is it the other way around? Do you fit God in where it's just convenient and easy because that just seems to work a little bit better for you? Are you in God's bubble or is he just inserted into the convenient cracks of yours? Those questions drive me crazy. I've been studying John chapter one. The first 14 verses have been stirring in my heart 
And because of that, I invite you to share my pain this morning. We're going to walk through these verses together. And if you have the courage, let's dive into the word, knowing that of all mornings, Jesus is not going to mind his own business today. Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So let's just lay out some simple biblical truth. From the beginning of time, the Bible and all of creation has been sending this message. Jesus is God. Okay? Jesus is God. Before time began, Jesus, known in these verses as the Logos, the word, the verbal expression, and the human expression of God itself has always existed within God. Jesus always has been, always will be, is currently. He's outside of time, within time. He's always going to be on time. Jesus is God, perfectly in relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. There's no competition within that relationship. There are three in one, one in three, and the three slash one has always been, is currently, and will always be. Amen. Poof. And if you can explain him and go, oh, that's just, it's easy to explain God, then I would ask you, what kind of God do you have? He's outside of all of that. The Bible goes on, verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus was there in creation, and he was fully active with the rest of the Trinity, creating. And I love the idea that Jesus is creating. You should write that in your outline. Think about it. My imagination just goes nuts. Jesus creates water and dry land and trees and mountains. He creates atomic structure. He creates wind and weather systems and isobars. He creates energy and mass, ideas and thought. My brain goes nuts when I think about him creating animal kind. I think it's incredible. He creates a hippo, sticks a trunk on it, changes his mind, sticks it on another animal, inflates it. That's an elephant. And off it goes. He shrinks the hippo, paints it pink, puts a little curly tail on the end of it. That's a pig. Thank you, Jesus, for bacon. That's what I'm saying. He creates an eagle and lets it fly, grabs another eagle as it flies away, grabs it by the feet and the head, stretches, inflates it on one end, sticks it on the ground and said, that's an ostrich. I love that. He's creating. He creates man and woman creates them with a palette of color, vibrant colors of humanity and unique, uh, an original template in every single one of them. And then before he dispatches them, Jesus does something incredible. He puts the thumbprint of God on every single one of their souls. We share that in common today. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, the thumbprint of God is on your soul. He made you. He's creating the Bible goes on, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Bible teaches without Jesus, there's nothing. There's no life. But with him, Jesus is life currently. He's life and breath. Jesus is the only reason you're breathing right now, and every breath you take is borrowed from him. He's the author of your life. He gave you life. And even though you and I have a natural tendency to choose darkness, Jesus shines the light of life into that darkness so we can see our way to God. Stick with me. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So he's concerning Jesus. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
Here we're introduced to a man, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, interesting guy, wore camel hair for an outfit and ate bugs and honey. You should read about him. He's an amazing human being. Enters the scene roughly about the same time as Jesus, and he's not the Messiah. He tells people, I'm not the Messiah. He just came to make a way. He's a voice crying in the wilderness that the Son of God is actually coming to seek and save the lost. So John's just a witness. And it's important to know the difference. He's a powerful witness to the coming king, to the coming savior. He witnessed, he testifies to the truth of who Jesus is, which makes me just stop in my tracks and ask myself a very uncomfortable question. What would people see when they cross-examine my witness? If my life was put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict me as a follower of Jesus? Would I be convicted as a Bible-thumping Jesus freak or just another glowing example of consumerism and materialism? Would I be convicted as a godly risk-taker or just another comfort-addicted, play-it-safe, conflict-avoidant, don't-rock-the-boat, play-by-the-rules human being? What am I witness to? If people look at me, would they see the transforming power of Jesus Christ or just another person who's addicted to say, stay in this tiny little comfort bubble that I call Whatcom County? Stick with me. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The Bible teaches Jesus is light. He's the light that illuminates our soul and allows us to see the brokenness of our sin. Jesus is the light that illuminates the path to the cross where we see him dying for those sins. Jesus is the light that comforts us when the darkness of the world just seems to press in on us from every single side. Jesus is the light that gives us hope that one day down the road, all of the light that comes out of Christ will illuminate heaven and illuminate everything for all of eternity when we get home and cross the finish line of heaven. He's the light. Let's keep going. Verse 10. He was in the world, still talking about Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. So get this picture. Jesus creates life, and the life that he creates rejects him as the author of life. They ignore him. They push him to the side. He becomes an inconvenient truth. Does that sound familiar to anybody in our modern context? So This is a hard one to write down, but it's true. Jesus is rejected. He's rejected. What's one of the biggest fears that keeps us silent when it comes to sharing our faith in Christ? It's the fear that we're going to be rejected. Can I tell you something? If you're ever rejected for the sake of Jesus, you're in good company with Jesus. He's rejected all the time by the very people that he created. Now, here's what's incredible to me. I've been rejected in my life before. Probably so have you. I've been rejected by people organizations. It just kind of comes with the territory of being a Jesus follower these days, right? I've been rejected, and this is what happens normally inside of me when I get rejected. You reject me, I reject you. That's how it works. You reject me, I think to myself, have it your way. 
but don't ever expect to have relationship with me again. If you reject me, I will build the wall and it will stay separate. It will keep us apart for the rest of existence. That's just the way it's supposed to be in my head. That's the way I work, but I'm trying to change because that's not the way Jesus works. Listen to John chapter 1 verse 12. In fact, let me go back and read 11 so we see the contrast. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So even though we all live through a season where we reject Jesus, Jesus loves us so much that instead of rejecting us, based on our rejection of him, Jesus does the exact opposite and opens the door to relationship. I think that's encapsulated in the two most beautiful words that I know in the English language. Jesus saves. I love that. Instead of rejecting us as we deserve, he opens the door to relationship. He bridges the gap between perfect God and sinful people. And not only does he save, he actually takes those natural born rebels and adopts them into his family. Gives them his last name. Says, you belong to me. Listen to this. Verse 13. Children born, not of natural descent. That's not a human thing nor of human decision, it's not a human thing, nor of a husband's will, it's not a human thing, but born of God. The Bible teaches Jesus covers the sin, restores the broken life, and then makes a place to everyone who believes on him within his own family structure. What's another way to say that? Jesus adopts. He adopts. He picks. He comes into a room of natural-born rebels and says, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. I'll take Ray. I want him in my family. I pick Smokey and D. They're in my family. I'll pick Keith and Ellen. They belong to me. Don't care what they did in the past. doesn't matter anymore. It's all covered. All covered. Marlene, you're in. Alan, you're in. I'll pick that one and that one and that one and that one and that one. And the rest of them are all rejecting me right now. And I still have godly patience. It's amazing. Okay. Just when you think it couldn't get any better, it actually does. Stick with me. Jesus is not going to do all of this from the comfort of his own little bubble. He's not going to stay in heaven, insulated and safe, immune from the pain of this broken world. No, instead, Jesus is actually going to step into the story of his own creation. Let me test the the television uh, trivia acumen of the people in the room. Some of you remember back a long, long time ago, especially if you had Canadian television that invaded your space, and there was a British comedy called Upstairs, Downstairs. Anybody remember that? Nobody? Okay, two. That's great. Okay. Let me give you the simple plot. It was the story of a group of servants that lived downstairs. All the royalty lived upstairs. And here's what what you needed to know. The royalty never came downstairs to interact with the servants because they were beneath them. Here's the beautiful story of the gospel. The king of all creation came downstairs and walked with us for a while. Listen to verse 14. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace 
and truth. So let me just do a summary. Jesus created, he was life and light, he lived, he saves, he adopts, and all of this was inspired because Jesus came. Jesus stepped into our bubble so we could experience grace and truth. Jesus didn't play it safe. He stepped out of indescribable comfort in heaven to step into our bubble. And now, because Jesus went first, he asks us to not limit ourselves to this little tiny portion of the world that we call our own. He calls us to follow his example, take a step of faith, leave our comfort zone, because this is the promise. Every single time you leave your comfort zone, God will meet you there. He will meet you there. Always in a unique, different way. So in about 12 hours, I'm going to get on an airplane. I'm going to fly Seattle to Boston, Boston to Dubai, Dubai to Nairobi. I'm going to get off a plane, and I'm going to go and hang out with some unbelievable pastors. I'm going to go hang out at a school that you've been supporting with 600 students in it for a really, really long time called Our Savior King's Academy. Next Sunday, while you're baptizing here, I'll be on the other side of the world, about 11 hours ahead of you, time-wise, baptizing the very first new followers of Jesus at Christ the King Kibera. And it's going to be a beautiful opportunity. But can I tell you something? I'm scared to death. I'm not scared of terrorism or airplane tragedies. Don't care. Last time I checked my Bible to be absent from the bodies present with the Lord. If Jesus takes me home, I'll take the upgrade and you guys can just hang out down here. <laughs> just saying. You know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid because I'm not sure I have anything of value to offer. Brothers who pay such an incredibly high price to do what I'm doing right now. Some of the pastors who are going to come to the conference have already started walking from their homes. It will take them three full days to get to us with little or no food and little or no water. And I'm sitting back going, I'm not sure I've got anything to give them. I'm scared to death. So some of you are asking, then why are you going? I'm not sure. Should have sent Todd, you know? Just like, <laughs> Todd, grab a team, off you go. It's great, right? Why am I going? For one reason. Because I know if I'm willing to step outside of my bubble, Jesus is going to show up. And honestly, it's a little bit selfish because I know whenever Jesus shows up, I get so much more than I ever have the opportunity to give. We're going to have a foot washing there. I want to wash the feet of 600 fellow pastors on the other side of the world. Why? Because that's what Jesus did to show people how much he loved them and how important they were. We're going to step outside of the bubble. Some of you are just like, I can't afford to go to Africa. It doesn't matter. Do you know you can step out of your bubble by stepping two steps to the right and talking to the human being that God puts right in front of you? The bubble is not defined by distance. The bubble is defined by our level of comfort and the level to which we are willing to go when it comes to risking sharing our faith. I remember the first time I went to Kenya. I'm standing in Dandora, one of the largest garbage dumps in the world. 
I'm surrounded by children who are all infected with AIDS. I'm not feeling well. I'm, I'm hot. I'm uncomfortable. And I meet this elderly lady. She's in her 90s. Everyone calls her grandma. She runs a church, an AIDS clinic, a school, and a community center by herself. I think the rest of us need to up our game just a little, right? She's in her 90s, and she runs four different institutions, and she does it with such grace. The, the love of God just radiated out of grandma. I just wanted to hang out next to her, see if some of it might just rub off. She told me a story. She said when there were government riots in their city, the rioters were actually burning the city to the ground. When the community of Dandora heard that the rioters were actually heading towards the church, an incredible thing happened. The community came out and made a human shield around the church building. Not the believers, the community came. Made a ring around the church. And when the mob came to burn the church down, they stood in defiance of the mob and said, you can burn the whole town, but you do not get to touch this church. This is where they feed the children. And the mob left. The community showed up. And I'm standing there in that moment, and Jesus interrupts my life and crawls inside of my little bubble of comfort and asks me a question. If Whatcom County was burning, Grant, do you think the community would come and protect Christ the King Community Church, or would they just watch it burn? And I got my marching orders. Grant, you need to love Whatcom County so well they couldn't stand to lose the reflection of Jesus that I've called Christ the King Community Church to be. You need to love them so well they would defend it with their lives. I was so moved, so challenged. Once again, you don't need to go to the other side of the world. Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting in the mall eating Chipotle, minding my own introverted business. Just taking a moment to get some food. And Jesus interrupts my lunch and says, speak to the young man sitting to your right. I'm like, no. <laughs> Jesus said, fine. Missed the opportunity. I said, fine. Jesus said, fine. I don't know how you talk to God. That's how God and I have a conversation. All right? Hi, I'm Grant. You enjoying your lunch? I introduced myself to Andabi. Andabi is a traveling missionary from Senegal. Apparently, he wasn't the target. I was. <laughs> because within minutes, he's standing over me in the Bellis Fair food court, praying, African style, over this misguided young pastor who needed to hear these words. And I quote his prayer that Jesus would allow Christ the King to spread so much love that the community would protect it with their lives. Boom! You stay in your little bubble, you just miss the opportunities to be blessed and to bless. Okay, here we go, really fast, quickly and practically. When we intentionally step out of our bubble, Jesus takes us through a beautiful process. Every time you summon the courage to step outside, whether it's across the street, 
to share with the neighbor over the fence, to go to the other side of the world, to see a need and meet it, to pray a prayer over somebody that's a little bit freaked out by the fact that you want to pray. Every single time that happens, here's the process. You start with a new experience. Okay, like I said, you don't need to go to Africa. You just step outside of your normal experience and Jesus meets you in that moment. You say, Grant, I don't know how to do that. Start with a dangerous prayer. God, use me today and mean it. God, use me in my interactions, my conversations, wherever you put me. If you divinely interrupt me, I promise I'll roll with it. You pray a dangerous prayer. You say, God, help me see a need and meet it. Help me to boldly pray and share Jesus. Help me to step out of my bubble into somebody else's bubble. God, you put the opportunity in front of me. I will be there. That's the new experience, which leads us to a new perspective. Every time you get this, you get a new perspective. When I went to Thailand, I met with a group of pastors who were talking about the revival that was breaking out in the lower part of their country. I asked them, I said, so what sparked the revival? And their answer shocked me. They said, the tsunami. I only had one category for the tsunami, bad. People died, it's bad. But they said the tsunami actually opened the door for God's people to stay and serve because nobody else stayed and served. And they gave out water and blankets and it sparked a revival because people saw Jesus' followers choosing to serve instead of being comfortable and Jesus shone with the light and the love and people started coming to Jesus. When Laurel and I were in Italy earlier this year walking through the earthquake zone, 400-year-old villages completely devastated and knocked to the ground We're there with my brother, Guy Sotili, and he says, Grant, we have been here for decades preaching, bringing concerts in, evangelizing people. We've never had a single person give their heart to Jesus until the earthquake happened. Once again, I only have one category for earthquakes, bad. But he goes, it was the earthquake that allows us to stay, to help, to build, to talk, to pray. And the story of Jesus and his crazy followers who stepped out of their comfortable little bubble started being repeated over and over and over again. We met person after person who's like, I met Jesus seven days ago. I met Jesus 11 days ago. And everything has changed for me. Which leads us to a new appreciation. Whenever you step out, you get a new appreciation. Every time I go to Africa, I appreciate clean water. You want to drive me nuts when I get home in about 11 days? Leave the tap running beside me in a public bathroom. And just, no! Because you don't see that. Every time I get to share Jesus with somebody who's far from God, you know what I appreciate? I appreciate God's grace to me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me, once was lost, now I'm found used to be blind. Now I can see. Which leads us to a new passion. It's a passion for the right purpose and the right priorities. I tell you what, if you don't get anything else this morning, please take this with you. Your life is so much more than just a pile of stuff and merely existing in a little bubble. I thought for sure I'd get at least one amen with that one. Let me try that again. Your life is so much more than just a pile of stuff and merely existing. Created you to make a difference. 
which leads us to a new love for the Jesus who stepped out of heaven into our world. So we started with the story of Jesus. The word became flesh that dwelt amongst us for a little while. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father sent with grace and with truth. He left heaven to invade our bubble. He wanted us to have the grace that drew us to him and the truth to help us step out. That life is so much more than just this little tiny bubble. So last night, I go up to the prayer room. There's a group of people that meet with me up in the prayer room. And we just pray together. And I've been so, so many times I go up there, this is what I'm preaching this weekend, and then they pray and, and God hijacks the message and we go a totally different direction. Last night, Scott was there. Scott, are you still working camera five? Yeah, there you are. Okay, so it's all, it's all Scott's fault. Okay, so last night, after we're done the prayer time, Scott comes and says, and he's like an engineering physicist kind of a guy. So his brain is like just like going in a thousand different directions. And he comes up and he says, Grant, here's something you need to know, okay? All right, he goes, so, so when you make a bubble... There's actually, there's higher pressure inside of the bubble than on the outside. That's what keeps the surface tension going. And he goes, and here's what, here's what I think is just so unbelievably important. The smaller a person's bubble, the more pressure they're actually under. Because mm. what do we do, right? Shrink the bubble, keep it small, keep it small, keep it small. Don't allow anybody straining. No strangers allowed inside of my bubble. I got to be able to manage it. It's the carpool, the van, my house, my, my addiction to reality TV. That's what I keep inside of my bubble. I just got to keep it. And the smaller it is, the better I'm going to be. That's not true. If you want to release the pressure, you need a bigger bubble. Thank you, science, very much. In fact, if you want to experience real relief, pop the bubble altogether. Just don't even have one. Free access to Jesus, to people, to opportunity, to prayer, stepping out in faith. Why? Because Jesus already went. Jesus never asks his followers to do anything he hasn't already done himself. Jesus went first. Now, you have the courage to do the same. To step out. Some of you need to pop the bubble of safety and comfort. We're addicted to safety and comfort. What do we always pray about? Traveling mercies. I mean, if God can make an eagle, don't you think he can make an airplane fly? The idea came from somewhere, right? Some of us need to pop the bubble of self-sufficiency. Because the reality is you're trying to do it all on your own. Can I share with you one of the most beautiful moments of my life? It's when I fell on my knees in front of God, declared my absolute ineptitude, and said, I'm going to have to rely on your strength from now on because my strength got me nowhere. That's what propels us outside of that normal, ordinary, mundane, boring life that we would call the bubble. Some of you need to pop the bubble of believing that being a good person is enough. That's what the world says, right? The world says that, that being a good person, that's enough. Just be a good person, mind your own business, play by the rules, be safe, politically correct, you're fine. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible has the audacity to say, your good's not good enough. Neither's mine. And that's why I need a God who stepped out of heaven and dwelt amongst us for a little while so that we could see his glory 
The glory of the one and only sent from the Father with the message of what? Amazing grace and biblical truth. I have no idea what God's going to ask you to do over the next couple of weeks. I know what he's asking me to do scares me to death. But I know this to be sure. Jesus is waiting just outside of my bubble. And he's waiting just outside of yours. If you want to experience him in a new, beautiful, and passionate way, it just takes one step. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my brothers and sisters on this long weekend who've come. Lord, I thank you for the people in this room who actually already live on the ragged edge with no bubble at all. (laughs) Lord, they are so inspiring to me. God, I pray for those who have struggled and stay inside of that little tiny bubble that they've created for themselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would inspire them with courage to step out, to believe, to speak, to live, to act, to serve. God, I pray for those who are here and they've never met this Jesus and never knew that he left heaven in order to come and make a way for them to be adopted into God's family. And God, I pray right now in the quietness of their heart that they would respond to you taking that step by saying, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Jesus, would you change me? Jesus, would you take me outside of the bubble of my broken past and give me hope for the future? Jesus, would you author my life interrupt me, get up in my business and help my life to be so much more than just a pile of stuff. God, I pray as as people all over the room deal with you, I pray that we would fully surrender, fully trust and fully risk it all to follow your example from John chapter 1. So I thank you this morning and I pray these things in your name. Amen. For some of you, you've never been baptized. Today is your opportunity. (laughs) I don't want to get my hair wet. Wow. For some of you, God's still knocking on your heart going, you should have done that small group thing. You know you can't do this alone. Your bubble's too small. We got a spot for you. About seven weeks from now, we're doing this crazy thing called Easter. And God has put you in charge of every single person that lives in the radius of your home. Do you want them to experience amazing grace? I do. I hope you do too. But none of it's going to happen if we all stay inside of our bubble. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay in the worship space that we're in right now. We're going to continue doing that by giving back to God our our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest, we don't want anything from you. Thanks for coming.
For those that call Christ the King home, this is an opportunity to worship God by putting him first and just saying, just so you know, Jesus, my life is more than just a pile of stuff. So I honor you with my wealth and we are wealthy. If you got clean water today, you're wealthy. And the ushers are gonna start in the back, work their way towards the front. When the offering passes you by, we're gonna stand together, but we're gonna sing a prayer. Be very careful what you pray because God might just say yes. The prayer is, consume me. Holy Spirit, consume me. Burn up the bubble. Take me where you want me to be. It's risky. It's crazy. It's glorious. It's godly. Ushers, if you would, please. God bless you.